The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Please sit down, Mr. Tarsis. For the record, will you tell us your name and position? Simon Tarsis, crewman first class, medical technician. Now, I assure you, Mr. Tarsis, this is an informal inquiry. We are not accusing you of anything. However... Good morning, London. It is Thursday, September 16, 2010. I'm Bob Metz. I'm Robert Bond. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. No, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. And once again, welcome to the show where 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation today. And boy, are we going to have one. You can also email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org because our subject themes today are going to be free speech, kangaroo courts, copyright, political correctness, conservatives, Christians, who knows what else. Because joining us in the studio today are Mark Fournier and Connie Fournier. Welcome to the show again for the second time, guys. Thank you. It's good to be back in London. Yeah, it's been a couple years. Yes. Um, now, Mark and Connie are owners and operators of freedominion.ca. They were originally on the show, apparently back in 2008. We were just trying to figure out how long ago it was, actually. And I know a lot of our listeners don't really know about what your whole story is, but you're one of the many, um, I guess, victims being dragged before human rights commissions and subject of all sorts of free speech issues. And uh, maybe you want to just give us a quick, I don't know how you can do this so quickly, but uh, um, you know, a, an introduction to what your problem is. And the things that we won't get to today, you will definitely want to hear about tonight because you'll be able to listen to the sounds of the silenced tonight at uh, the Crouch Library, 550 Hamilton Road. Five, ducks, five bucks at the door, ducks too if you want to bring them. It's raining out there. And doors open 630 and, and the event runs 7 to 9. You'll be able to hear Mark and Connie for yourselves. Now, you guys got a lot of problems. I wouldn't want your problems. Which one of you wants to start with uh, this nightmare story that no Canadian would ever want to have happen to them? I guess I could start okay. this, Bob. Uh, I guess it, I'd like to explain first what Free Dominion is. Free Dominion sure. is a uh, political forum discussion uh, with a con an unabashedly conservative slant. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife and I, Connie, have run this uh, website since uh, 2001. It's been almost 10 years now. Uh, it's a respectable site. It's uh, not by any means a hate site. It never has been. It never will be as long as we run it. Uh, as a reward, this is a service that we've provided to the public in Canada so we could discuss the issues of the, days, uh, of the day in the news and, and politics. As a result of this service that we've provided, we've spent 10 years being harassed, hounded, stalked. We've been threatened. We've been defamed. We've been sued. We've had uh, a Canadian, two Canadian human rights complaints against us. And we, we have literally done nothing wrong. We have broken no law. We've broken no moral or ethical restrictions. Well, obviously, someone seems to disagree with you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in that situation. How would that happen? The censors. Uh, <laughs> you're both smiling. I don't know if that's funny. 
you want to take it from there, Connie? Okay. Well, this all started for us uh, in August of 2007 when we found out that there was a human rights complaint against us. Um, the last time we were here, we talked a little bit about that. Actually, that was quite a same, lot about that, that. That was the same complaint. That, that okay. was the complaint. And uh, it fortunately um, didn't go very far. Um, at that point, uh, the human rights tribunals for the, the Canadian Human Rights Commission um, had a 100% conviction rate. So anybody who went to a tribunal, basically, um, they they ruled against them. And so fortunately, it, it didn't go that far, and the complainant uh, dropped the case. And um, the reason she did, I, th I think, was because there wasn't really a basis. Uh, the complaint was over one of a, m a member of Freedom Union who had distributed some flyers, uh, and the subject was radical Islam, and he had put uh, some pictures of the the Danish cartoons on on them, and uh, and also a picture of a schoolgirl who had been decapitated. So they they were shocking flyers. Um, now, when you say a member of Free Dominion. What, is, what, is, what does it take to be a member? Is that a paying dues member? Is that what, what does that mean? It takes an email address. Oh, okay. So you're not talking about an official representative of Absolutely Free Dominion. Absolutely not. A member is just someone who who joins uh, to talk. A member of the public. Uh, yes. Okay. Went through a simple registration. And how many members do you have? Um, almost 10,000 now. Wow. So yeah. it's a respectable site. Yeah, yeah we, well we get a lot of traffic. We yeah. are actually almost a Canadian Internet institution. We've been around almost since the beginning of the Internet. Probably mm -hmm. more subscribers than uh, a lot of major daily newspapers in I, I would Canada. Think, yeah, but this flyer was never on Free Dominion. That was the interesting part of of this whole complaint. Uh, there was a link on on Free Dominion that led to the flyer on another site, and so there there really wasn't any any reason for them to continue on that. And we just had an information disclosure from the, the CHRC. We've been after them through the Freedom of Information Act for years to try to get papers from them on, on Free Dominion. And uh, the initial investigator said that even the flyer itself didn't violate Section 13 of the she, Human Rights Act. Her words were obviously it Obviously. And so why were you even having an issue? Well, <laughs> actually, we're just breaking this uh, on this show right now that we just received uh, an oh. unredacted. We've been fighting with the Human Rights Commission for over a year now to get documentation on ourselves and the website uh, from them. Uh, they've been doing their usual obfuscating and hiding and hemming and hawing. We had to get the Freedom of Information people. They, first, they sent us completely redacted forms. There was not a, hardly a single word on them, and that was after a year of fighting them. So we sent the Human Rights or the uh, Freedom of Information people, who are just an excellent organization, and uh, they went in and uh, acted on our complaint and compelled the CHRC to send a less redacted version, and we just received that yesterday, and this is the first time we've been talking about it. Now, have you compared the redacted version to the unredacted version and to see why they would blank out um, a particular phrase or sentence or paragraph or page, and uh, would that fit in with the law about not giving out information that's been requested? I think it's an institutional bias, uh, if bias is the right word, just an institutional uh, frame of thought that uh, they weren't putting out anything. And they knew that 
we were not particularly friendly to their organization. We've been uh, giving them a lot of bad publicity, so they certainly didn't want to hand us anything that could hurt them, but they have. They've, uh, they've handed us this time. There, there's several things we've learned from what these less redacted copies. But the reason that we got the less redacted copies is because they weren't abiding by the law as exactly. far as freedom of information goes. It was the information commissioner that compelled them to, to send us the le less redacted versions. So where, where does that leave you now with respect to that particular? We're probably not going to get anything more out of them than of, of these actual documents than there is. The, the commission, uh, the Freedom of Information Commission has pretty well told us that's likely as much as you're going to get. But there is some, still some very troubling redactions in that. Uh, one of them is that there was a second complaint about uh, against us. We had just learned of this recently. And we demanded that we could see it. They redacted the whole thing. We have no idea what the complaint was about, who the complainant was. It's uh, very back room in the dark stuff and we may never find it out we've got an idea who the complainant is but it, it may not even we don't know if it's an active complainer or if it's been dismissed every bit has been redacted out of it so um, we we have a suspicion that it's related to the first complaint and and maybe somebody was complaining about the same sorts of things but, no, but, but couldn't it be just um, the right of the human rights commission to say that this complaint has no merit, therefore we're not going to proceed with it, so why would, he, why would they contact you about it? They, they have a, a right to, to not do that, and, and if it's a, actually, I believe that the law says that if it's an active investigation, then they are allowed to, to redact it. Um, so our, our problem is not knowing whether it's active or inactive. Oh, I see. We, um, it was launched in 2008. So we don't know if there's this ticking time bomb there waiting for us that's going to arrive in our mail someday or, or if it's just something that's been dropped. And as Mark said, we may never know. One of the interesting things that we learned from mm -hmm. these new documents, though, was the, it gave us some insight into the workings, the inner workings of the CHRC. Uh, we're just this website, and the, the complaint against us was just that there was a link on our website, yet there were 14 people in Ottawa uh, in the CHRC that were all busy, busily beavering away on this case to attack us. There were five lawyers, two of them senior lawyers, all the top management, the communications uh, director, uh, two investigators, a couple of intake people, all working because there was a link on our site to an outside site. What I found interesting, though, is when... And we, one not even placed there by you. And no, and one we didn't even place there. And, and the, the link led to a flyer that the intake officer ultimately said obviously wasn't hate speech. So, but what was interesting was the progression. When the, we saw the documents when, she, when this complaint was first laid against us, and the intake officer thought it wasn't hate speech. It wasn't in their jurisdiction. This was a flyer drop that happened out in Alberta and, and I think in Saskatchewan. I mean, it didn't have anything to do with us. And they said they didn't have any jurisdiction except for the fact that the complainant mentioned there was a, an earl for a website, which was our website. This was, we hadn't authorized this. We had no idea the earl was even on there. Mm -hmm. uh, but, it, I mean, it is possible it could leave, make the erroneous perception that Free Dominion did have something to do with it, but in fact it didn't. It no, nobody seriously tried to say that we did. But 
the change that occurred over a few months, when it first hit intake level, they were just saying, no, there isn't a case here. But then it got booted upstairs. And the intake officer at the time she received this had no idea who Free Dominion, what Free Dominion was, who we were, what, what we were about or anything. It was obvious in the documents this was all new to her. But it got bumped upstairs. And once the management, the top dogs at the CHRC and the investigators got it, well, they knew who Free Dominion was. And we could see the progression in the, in, in the complaint. Ms. Gentis first went in and complained about the person who made the delivery drop. That's who she was mad at. She couldn't care less about Free Dominion. She didn't even mm -hmm. know who we were. But the management upped the ante. And within two months in their internal documents, they were referring to Free Dominion as a hate site. Well, what were they asking you to do? Just to get rid of the link? No, you they, wouldn't, or what? There wasn't even a question of... Uh, she, the person who complained never even asked that it be taken down. And neither did the CHRC. And neither did... It was also bizarre. We were never given any option for, for any kind of resolution whatsoever. The, the first paperwork we got from <laughs> them... Um, told oh us goodness. that they had already contacted us before and this was our final opportunity to mediate or to, not to mediate to but respond to, in full. to mm -hmm. respond and to to make an offer for some kind of resolution i guess money and uh so anyway that when we got the papers from the chrc with our information request we found too that there never was a first contact even though they said there was so um we got it was all very messed up from the oh beginning. Oh boy, well, you got you guys, you got problems that go even beyond the Human Rights Commission, as I understand. We'll get to that in a couple of minutes. But first, I think you want to hear this. Um, you're not the only folks that were threatened with Human Rights Commission's issues. All it never happened, I think, with Ann Coulter, did it? They never finally went. Well, I don't think her. so. No. Um, perhaps because of who she is. But when she came to London, she was already threatened um, with the Human Rights Commission <laughs> a threat. You know, be careful what you say. And I. She was a little upset that day, I remember, when she was speaking <laughs> in London. Yes, indeed. And, of course, there was the, the big issue, the flying carpet issue, which you were about to hear. This is from the question and answer period here at the University of Western Ontario. You, want to, you might not hear this as clearly every word. You'll get the, the gist of it, but you'll certainly hear what the tone of debate is like these days. And here is Ann Coulter as she appeared in London, Ontario, here at the University of Western Ontario on March 22nd. On September 14, 2001, you said that Americans should have been Muslim countries and, and convert them to Christianity. You also said that they should get all the Muslims to boycott all airlines. When asked what the alternative modes of transportation were, you suggested flying carpet. <laughs>
quote, it was invade their countries, kill their leaders, and convert them to Christianity. So, uh, and, you know, by the way, this, this shows, I thought it was just, you know, American public schools that produced ignorant people. This uh, is what America has done after World War II, after the Korean War, um, after we won World War II, the emperor went to MacArthur and said, okay, we're ready to convert. And MacArthur said, well, actually, we don't convert people forcibly. Um, also, as he's described, he said there's no whether to convert them to Protestantism or Catholicism. Um, but he put out the call for Christian missionaries to come to Japan, and they poured in. And you don't convert people um, forcibly, but Christian missionaries have been operating throughout Japan for years, and they certainly have religious freedom in Japan. And I would add, we haven't heard of Pete out. Um, uh, that's pretty much the tone of debate, and that was a friendly conversation, wasn't it, Robert? We were there, both of us. Yes, yes uh, uh, very fascinating, uh, especially, and I think we're probably going to get into this a little later on, um, about what Ann Coulter was talking about, and the gist of her speech was how liberals are treated with kid gloves and conservatives are taken to task for everything that they have to say. And I think that American Connie can attest to that as well, being correct sure. in Canada. Now, now, your problems have extended beyond just the Human Rights Commission, haven't they? You've got sort of a whole new form of attack coming against you. Yes, this started uh, a bit before we were on your last show here in London. Uh -huh. uh, a, have we I, talked about it then at that point? I yet, think, or? yeah, I think we had discussed it some on that show. Uh, a uh, an ex-employee of the CHRC, after uh, the complaint against Freeman Dominion was dropped, the CHRC complaint, we were having a bit of celebration on the website, and you know, yay, Freedom won this time type of celebration. And uh, within that uh, discussion thread, a name come up that neither Connie and I were familiar with, had never heard of before. And, mm -hmm. uh, somebody got on the site and started uh, posting information about uh, the CHRC and one of its ex-employees ex in particular, a uh, gentleman by the name of Richard Warman. Yes. Who is a... Well, he's uh, been in the papers a lot lately, that's for sure. Yes. Uh, Richard Warman attended law school and got himself a law degree. Uh, and he's found a, he learned. I guess he learned a lot in there because he's become very good at suing people. And I, I think it, uh, it, to date there's either 60 or 70 people that he's sued. Uh, when you think about it, most people, most Canadians go through their entire lives without ever coming into the lawsuit process, either as a plaintiff or, or a defendant. Uh, of the very few that actually have been through this process, a vanishingly small number have ever been through it twice. Mm -hmm. But here we have one individual who has filed at least 60 or 70 lawsuits, unknown numbers of threats of lawsuits, this, it's, uh, the pattern's clear, and his own words have described the pattern in his maximum disruption speech. Uh, at this point, right after the complaint against us... No, that's not 60 lawsuits against you. No, 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 <laughs> no but he, he does have three, three against us. Now, I, I notice also that Ezra Levant is on his list, is that correct? Yes, he, he's, uh, we, we name our suits, his suits against us, one, two, and three. Okay. Uh, <laughs> just in chronicle order, or chronological order that we received him. Uh, the first one came in was the, uh, we, we call it the uh, John Doe's. It was uh, eight anonymous posters on Free Dominion were 
their screen names, where pseudonyms were named, as well as the two of us, and the website for uh, words that Richard Warman claimed uh, were defamatory of. Mm -hmm. They had come up in the, the celebration thread when the complaint, the other complaint had been dropped. Uh, the second one was uh, concerning an internet post known as the Ann Cools post. And it was a racist, misogynist screed that was planted on uh, Mark Lemire's website. Uh, I wrote uh, about that story. I broke that story. I, it, when when uh, Richard Warman had sued us the first time, we had to find out, well, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. So we started looking into Googling his name, if nothing else. And, uh, and we found it was impossible to discuss Richard Warman without discussing the CHRC in Section 13 and vice versa. Which was the major portion of our conversation last time on Exactly. Yes. So we... Uh, we as, a, in, as our investigation into this gentleman w went on, we discovered that he was highly involved in a very big case, the Mark Lemire case, that the CHRC had been pursuing for five years. Uh, ultimately, Mark Lemire was found not guilty. But uh, he had been put through five years of hell, and Richard Warman was the complainant in this. So I began reading, we both began reading the transcripts from the Lemire hearing, and within this hearing there was something called the Ann Cools Post and it wound its way through this hearing for years and it was the subject of great maneuvering and arguing court cases that w occurred outside the tribunal process it was a major part of this case and nobody was discussing it so I wrote the story of it I, I understood that it was a key it was the key into the Lemire case it was the key into Richard Warman, mm -hmm. and it was the key into Section 13 and the CHRC. It, it showed perfectly what was really going on there. I wrote the story, put it up on Free Dominion. It was immediately picked up by the National Post, Desert Levant, uh, Kathy Shadle, uh, Kate McMillan, and their websites. And Richard Warman reacted typically and sued everybody in sight. So uh, that's the Ann Cools one. It's we have five codependents, I think, or codependents, codefendants, <laughs> including, <laughs> Jonathan, including Jonathan Kay, right, and, and the yes. National Post itself. And we're going to actually, we want to get to that probably later in the show. There's a significant sidebar to, to the National well, Post has settled. Yeah, though. the National Post oh, and Jonathan well, Kay have settled. Maybe now is the time to bring this to everyone's attention um, because it seems that. Um, uh, Mr. Warman has some fans locally here in town uh, at the London Free Press. I was noticing in uh, Joe Belanger's article of September 11th, but believe it or not, we have a, a can. I know you're from out of the city, and we have a candidate for mayor here who is a self-proclaimed what is he, uh, biggest hater in the city or something like something that. <laughs> but here is uh, you just have to hear this and, and then contrast it with what we will hear right after which is um, from the Michael Corrin show with Ezra Levant from 2009. But here's what was in the London Free Press. Um, and I call it, you know, this is political correctness going to 11. Uh, this mayoral, mayoral, mayoral candidate is too hateful to simply ignore, reads the headline. Thomas Winnicky isn't controversial, it reads. He's a pissant, which means he's as insignificant as an ant, a nobody, a man who should be ignored. I actually had to go on the Wikipedia to find that word because it's not in either of my two dictionaries. <laughs> and he's a hateful little ant. That's the nice publishable stuff I have to say about Winnicky. Self-proclaimed biggest hater in London. I find that interesting as to say he even has to restrict himself in terms of what he wants to publish. 
And he won't be ignored, at least by me. Now, that's interesting, right after he says he should be ignored. And um, he says, everyone deals with racists differently. Some cower, others shun or simply avoid them, leaving the room or building, perhaps even the neighborhood. Then there are those who don't leave the room. Throughout my adult life, I have challenged anyone who uttered a racial slur or joke in my presence. Now, that I agree with. That's the way to do it. Then there's the legal option, he writes, which Ottawa anti-racism activist Richard Warman took. It was Warman who first complained, oh, isn't that interesting, to the Human Rights Commission in September 2001 about Winicky, who used the Internet to post calls, now get this, for a so-called holy racial war and the elimination of Jews and blacks from Canada. And he writes, I am urging everyone not to ignore him. It is silence, fear, and indifference that allows racists to spew their hateful messages, end quote. So Joe Belanger says Winnicky should be ignored, but he can't, and we shouldn't. And just as his feelings on the subject of Winnicky are a little contradictory, I think, inconsistent and confused, so too is this argument. Now, you know, I applaud his own response to perceived racism. You know, his tolerance of legal action, however, is is kind of weird against that, his own response, right? He's saying, I want the right to criticize this guy, but he supports legal action, because I think one prevents the former. And as to why Winnicky should be prosecuted for advocating the elimination of Jews and blacks when there are literally thousands of other people daily expounding the same message in our news, you know, you hear this all the time. I think the sheer hypocrisy of it all could not be revealed more clearly than by the following excerpt we're about to hear from Michael Corrin live. When his guest was conservative freedom of speech advocate Ezra Levant, who has also been a guest on this show. So just listen to this, and we'll be back after the break. Before we go on, because uh, I get very confused about issues of freedom, I'm just a simple fellow. Uh, a few years ago, on the Michael Curran show, became rather well, infamous, notorious, Muhammad El Mastery, Muhammad El Mastery, was showing this about twice a, uh, a day on the show now for, for this week and maybe time to come. I think it's important. Uh, he's leader of the Canadian Islamic Congress, keeps getting re-elected to that position, interestingly enough. Um, he made some remarks on the show about Israelis. Every Israeli over the age of 18, irrespective of gender, race, sexuality, disability, they could be pro-war, anti-war, they could be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, they could be Arab, they could be Jew. Anyway, let, let, let's watch that clip right now if we could. What are you saying? I'm saying that it has to be totally innocent, okay? Totally innocent of the children, obviously, yeah. okay? But they are not innocent if they are military in civilian clothes, okay? What and about they, women? The same if the other woman in the in the army. Anyone over the age of anyone any, over the age of eighteen any, in Israel. Anybody, is a valid any, anybody above eighteen is a part of the okay. Israeli so, uh, so, uh, so, uh, so, popular army. Everyone in Israel and anyone and everyone in Israel, irrespective of gender, over the age of eighteen is a valid target. Yes. Okay. I would say. Now. What do I know? But it would seem to me that saying that every Israeli, whatever their views, whatever their background, religion, is a valid target for death, may be exposing Israelis to contempt. That's right. Now, the, <laughs> I, he has a right to, I believe he has a perfect right to say that, and I have a perfect right to say you're, you're an idiot, and you're a hateful man, and you'll never be on the show again. End of story. Not just that. I'm glad he said that, because I, now I know that he's a bigot. And now I know 
who he is. If, the, if he wasn't allowed to say that, we, Mohammed al-Masri could walk through life and people might think he's a stand-up guy. Mm -hmm. The fact that he outed himself as a bigot was a useful public service. Mm -hmm. And the proper response to guys like him is to marginalize him uh, and, and, as you say, don't have him over dinner, but don't the interview But the point him. is, Ezra, that this man's organization has brought a case, and let's go on to this yeah. one now, against McLean's magazine, uh, Mark Stein, on an article that Mark wrote about Islam. Um, this, is it meant to be ironic? Well, and that's the thing. I, a fella uh, compiled a chart of everyone charged under the Canadian Human Rights Commission for hate speech. Ninety-eight percent of them are Christian white men. Now, I'm sure the Christian white men say hateful things, but not a single Muslim has ever been charged. Not one. Not Mohammed al-Masri, not Yunus Kathrata in Vancouver who called Jews and Christians pigs and dogs and has encouraged his congregation to go fight, and one of them did and uh, went to war in Afghanistan. There are, there are radical, hateful people in this country of all backgrounds, even some radical Sikhs and Tamils. None of them have ever been charged. Because the law is so vague, whoever you charge is automatically guilty. It's to the political discretion of the Human Rights Commission, and they have chosen to pick on only Christians, only guys, and only whites. Actually, one woman they went after as well. My point is that it's an abuse of law. community rates low on an information scale when the press, radio, and other channels of communication are controlled by only a few people, and when citizens have to accept what they're told. In communities of this kind, despotism stands a good chance. See how a community trains its teachers. Bear this in mind. Young people cannot be trusted to form their own opinions. This business about open-mindedness is nonsense. It's a waste of time trying to teach students who think for themselves. It's our job to tell them. And when teachers put such training into practice, despotism stands a good chance. These children are being taught to accept uncritically whatever they're told. Questions are not encouraged. How can you ask such a question? Have you got a textbook? Yes, ma'am. Does it say here that our law courts are always just? Yes, ma'am. Then how dare you question the fact? Sit down. And so we aren't surprised when... But it must be true. I saw it in this book right here. And if books and newspapers and the radio are efficiently controlled, the people will read and accept exactly what the few in control want them to. Government censorship is one form of control. A newspaper which breaks a government censorship rule can be suspended. It is also possible for newspapers and other forms of communication to be controlled by private interests. I thought I told you to kill that story. It'll cost us a lot of advertising. If that story goes out, I quit. All right. What sort of community do you live in? Where would you place it on a democracy despotism scale? And welcome back. You're listening to Just Right on CHRW, where Mark Fournier and Connie Fournier are guests in the studio, owners-operators of freedominion.ca, a conservative discussion site that keeps getting 
the eye of the law and other people against it. What do you think about that question there, Mark? Where do you think we're going? Like, uh, where would you rate our community on an information scale, as they asked back in 1946? Good and bad. Good and bad. Yes. Uh, the the Internet, of course, is the, the great equalizer. It's been a wonderful gift. It's been a boon to the common man, to uh, our ability to communicate our ideas. Is uh, We've never had this in, in human history. The political implications, of, we're just scratching the surface 10 years of 10, 12 years of the Internet. Mm-hmm. But the other side is... This it's raw political power for the people to be able to, con- to communicate like this. It translates to raw political power. We that frightens our politicians, and it frightens every institution, established institution from the pre-internet era. And it's been a wild time for the past ten or twelve years, but they're beginning to hit back. And uh, I think a lot of us can remember ten years ago the the American senator harumphing that we have to get control of this new internet thing. People are on there running around saying whatever they want. Oh my, imagine that. Uh, we're seeing it yeah. today. In a, in a, at that time, they didn't understand the talk technology, and I think what they meant was they want to license every single person who gets on the net or something. But now... There's, there's sort of thinking in broadcast terms, yes, in a way. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, now they're coming at it from de- several directions. The CHRT's on it, CHRC's on it, individuals are working on it. Uh, copyright is coming into it. Uh, the, it's all about control, and we have to stay one step ahead of them, the, the forces for freedom and free speech. Just as the Internet exploded on the scene, it's precisely because the government and the states couldn't regulate it. It is really a monument, a testament to what the, the, the free human spirits can accomplish. Uh, they want to... It was because they couldn't regulate it that it was so successful. And it's expanded so... That's the good of it. What would you say was the bad of it? You said it was good and bad. Well, the bad of it now is, although we laugh at the the senator who said we've got to get control of this Internet, they're still trying to do it. They're just doing it in, in... from a variety of directions at once. Say where people on the Internet are under attack from so many different directions. Connie's actually knows several points on this. Yeah, go ahead. Well, the the government is introducing some some new bills in relation to the internet. Um, just the the past year that are are rather frightening. Um, the investigative powers for the 21st Century Act. If you if you Google That's that and you called? look at it, yes, um, <laughs> it's scary in and of itself. It, it They're is. planning ahead, aren't they? Yep. <laughs> Basically, what that act says is that every ISP will be required to install software that will track where you go on the internet. And the second part of it says that they are required to produce that information for individuals without a warrant. Um, so the the days of you be able being able to go online and go wherever you want to go and send emails privately and and have some expectation that that well those things are already kind of traceable, aren't they? Or am I wrong? The thing that? is, and the point she was just making is that this is without a warrant. Yes. Did I yes. Hear you right. And yes. It, there's also a proactive requirement, isn't there, that the ISPs have to be monitoring things. So if, if they, something they monitor gets them, everybody, they could be in trouble. Now, they, isn't there a sense of irony here that here you have a conservative 
blog or a conservative um, site, what do you call it? It's not a chat room, it's a discussion forum. Discussion forum. Um, and yet we have a conservative government pushing these things, wanting to push us into an Orwellian state. And we've had another irony, irony with uh, Stephen Harper, who in 1990 died, said that the Canadian Human Rights Commissions were tyrannical, an affront to freedom, and uh, yet when he gets into power, what does he say when asked by Maclean's, uh, when they asked him if he intended to correct the threat to the basic existence of a democratic society with the Canadian Human Rights Commissions, and he says the government has no plans to do so. It's a very tricky issue of public policy. It's probably the case that we haven't got the right balance, whatever that is, but I'm not sure that the government today has any answer on what an appropriate balance would be. So how do you reconcile that It's impossible to reconcile. Um, the current commissioner of the CHRC, Jennifer Lynch, has been just incredibly defensive of Section 13 and censorship, and she was appointed by the Harper government. And so we, we are at odds with the conservative government when it comes to these issues of freedom. Um, you know, it used to be a lot less complicated. You know, you had the people on the left and the people on the right, but now both of those sides are split between people who are concerned about freedom and people who, who want to, to impose their agenda on people. And uh, it's, it's become kind of a political mess, and, and a lot of it revolves around the Internet and people who understand the Internet. The fact that somebody can put up an article on the Internet and then everybody weighs in and, and discusses it and, and uh, gets their own point across and there's not just one source of information and so people who understand the power of that um, are very concerned. You know it's, it's interesting that McLean's magazine which I would call perhaps mainstream liberal media um, has said in that article just of last year that Stephen Harper should repeal section 13 of the Canadian Human Rights Act so he has the liberals on his side. Every single <laughs> national newspaper, it. every single national newspaper has at one point or another come out with an editorial saying that Section 13 needs to be repealed. Penn Canada, which is an association of journalists as liberal as you can get, has said that Section 13 should be repealed. He, he has tons of support on the left, and so it, it kind of comes down to what is motivating him. If, if it's not political fear, is it that he likes it? <laughs> it must or, be, because here we are talking about things like the census. Ad I was going to bring that up. Yeah. Ad nauseum, we're talking about little things like that. And yet, when such a fundamental threat to our freedoms is, is, is ongoing, Mr. Harper and his conservative government seem to be standing right behind it. Stephen Harper was willing to risk his political capital trying this little thing to defund the other political parties in, in order to, to get a leg up for, for an election. And, and yet we're supposed to believe that when it comes to something as basic as our freedom of speech, he's, he's afraid to do anything. And, and I, I don't really believe that. Mm. Yeah, there, there's uh, maybe 20 people in the whole country who aren't directly making a living off Section 13 and censorship in one way or another, who actually supports Section 13 in, in the thought crimes, please. It is, it is universally loathed across the country. And so it's risk-free. It would be risk-free for Stephen Harper to squash it. 
who's going to stand up and say, no, I'm for censorship. I think the, I think the state should be telling us what we think. Nobody's going to even argue it, but he will not do it. I can only conclude that he likes the system the way it is. Just want to remind our listeners that if you want to hear more from Connie and Mark, you can hear them in person tonight at the Crouch Library at 550 Hamilton Road between 7 and 9 p.m. Doors open at 6.30, five bucks to get in. And before we continue our conversation, we're going to take a quick break for a smile, and we'll be back to wrap up the show. I watched the, uh, the Super Bowl again this year because I am an idiot. I've watched uh, every Super Bowl. And I've watched every Super Bowl because I have no religion. And I think it's important for man to have a ritual. And the Super Bowl is on once a year on Sunday. So at least I'm trying. I have no religion because I was born and raised Jewish. And on the first night of Hanukkah, my parents, when I was very young, gave me a top to play with. They called it a dreidel. I knew it was a top. And as I, I looked at that top, I said, you know, I don't think I'm going to be Jewish for very long. Thing from September 11th, it was that I survived trauma through my sense of humor. That's how I deal with it. Um, that's how it works for me. A lot of people are lucky because they have religion, but I had a dreidel, so that was out. <laughs> then, of course, there's patriotism, which I think is, is good in a lot of ways, except for a three-and-a-half-hour chunk before the Super Bowl. <laughs> but patriotism and religion are only good and only in balance when they have a sense of humor. And when they don't, things go awry. <laughs> All we have to do is look at our enemy. That's a group that does not have a sense of humor. That's a group that is just snapped. And that's what happens when you don't laugh. You get all wound up in what you're believing in and nobody's going, <laughs> and you're, you're screwed. We certainly got a lesson in that last week, didn't we, with all the furor over the, 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 the reverend down in Florida who was threatening yes. to burn the Koran. And it was something we talked about last week. It seems to me that behind all of this, there seems to be this whole thread of religious tolerance versus intolerance, competition between religions. Certainly, there seems to be a lot of the law being directed more towards the Christian faction. That's certainly very clear. You can't deny that. And behind it all seems to be an Islamic factor. Is that what you found yourselves, in, even in your own cases? I was surprised to hear the first thing that you got in trouble with was over the posting of 
something to do with Islam, the uh, the cartoons, was it? Yes, it was. And uh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, is that what the sensitivity is all about at the heart? Do you think? I'm not. I, I've been. You know? I'm not certain. It seems to me that it's more likely it's a deeper issue yet, and it's just being framed in religious terms. Uh, you hmm. you touched on something earlier that was important: the direction of these all these lawsuits and these uh, these human rights complaints. Yes. Uh, Ezra Levant mentioned it. They're all from the left directed at the right. Correct. And I think it's for two, particularly with the CHRC. I think there's for two reasons. Number one is. Most people on the right would never consider going and filing a human rights complaint against somebody who, who made a political opinion they didn't like. The people on the right don't think that way. It's you know, when I was a kid, it was the other way around. It was the liberals who were the tolerant ones, and the people on the right were the ones that wanted to do it, all the censorship. And it's completely changed yes. now. So coupled with the fact that most people on the right would never sink so low as to file a human rights complaint over, over an opinion they didn't like, the Human Rights Commission itself will only entertain uh, complaints that are directed against the right. There there's, has never been a, a human rights complaint in Canada now, against somebody. Has there ever life. been any hint in the complaints against you that it's got less to do with your, quote, right-wing opinions than with your religious affiliations? Or would you call yourselves Christians? Oh, we're definitely Christians. And so you're definitely in the, in and, the and we're, hit we're, list. We're open about being Christians, but the site itself is not really a religious site. It, it's, a, it's a political site. But, I mean, Christians but, are free to speak there. But, no, understood, but but I'm saying the, the complaints against you, there, there doesn't seem to be any specific religious overriding concerns in them specifically that you're aware well, of? Well, the flyer that the original complaint mm -hmm. was was over was, was it handed out by a, a Christian man, and, and it was... Um, what he was trying to do is is to to witness to people and 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 hopefully in his mind convert people to Christianity through this flyer, and uh, so yes I I can see that and you know the when you look at other cases before the the human rights commissions uh, Stephen Boisson in uh, Alberta wrote a letter to a newspaper he's a minister and uh, he was required in the ruling of the human rights commission to write another letter and disavow everything that he said in addition to to giving money to the, the the person who took him to the human rights commission and he was instructed that he was never allowed to say anything negative about homosexuality again as long as he lived and that's a for, lifetime sentence and for mm -hmm. a government mm -hmm. to make a rule like that against against a, a christian minister is is kind of frightening really well, it wasn't the government who made the ruling it was the human rights tribunal isn't it yes yeah. we, we well, see them as an arm of the government yeah <laughs> they are and it does uh, cease and desist lifetime cease and desist orders they hand down uh, i mean it, if they handed down one of those to us as free dominion anybody from the chrc could just drop in and post something on free dominion that we're not allowed to talk about and bam we go to jail it's a, it's a lifetime prison sentence hanging over people's heads. We give people 20 years and call it life if they murder somebody. But at the t end of the 20 years, they paid their debt to society. If you get a cease and desist order, you got the law hanging over your head for the rest of your natural life. And who's, who's policing that kind of thing? And how would they police it? The complainants watch. And if this, this has happened on a few occasions, there have been people... This is almost vigilanteism in a Very way. Very much so. Very oh, much so. absolutely. And, and it's bounty government, hunting. Yeah. It's bounty hunting. Interesting. Um, 
it's all quite frightening, and I know you've got so much more to say that hopefully we can cover a lot of that tonight at, at the Crouch Library. But this whole other new area that they're, they're, that uh, censorship seems to be heading in, this whole concept of using copyright law of all things. Yes, that's that's a, a which a normally new is a protection territory. Speech, right? yeah. Yes, and uh, but it's it's really being abused. Um, a lot of our laws need to be updated as far as the internet goes because they're based on old technologies and 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 they just don't apply anymore. But but especially copyright because what's happening now is people who want things removed from the from the internet basically thrown down the memory hole um, if they've said something they're embarrassed about or whatever then the new trend is to get a copyright on it and then to use that to have it pulled and uh, the the first time we were now that you can only do that with your own material essentially couldn't you or is that you would think so <laughs> but the first time that we were exposed to this tactic was we got a letter from Richard Warman's lawyer um, telling us that he had acquired the copyright on Jonathan Kay's article that he wrote on the Ann Cools Post and that we were now required to remove that article from our site because Richard Warman owned the copyright. And just to make it clear, though, Richard Warman maintains still that he did not post the Ankuls comments. Agreed. Yes. Agreed. That's his yes, position. But, but what you're saying is he purchased the copyright to someone else's article. Well, it wasn't or how, really how does that it wasn't done? a purchase. When well, they, we don't know exactly. We, we weren't informed like the of the process? terms. Um, presumably, mm. it was part of the settlement okay. when, when the National Post and Jonathan Case settled on that case. And... Uh, so now he owns the copyright to that article. So, so this this is sort of a, a new thing that we're dealing with. If if somebody can, as a part of their settlement, get the copyright on material, then they can go around and have things removed from the internet, and that's happening. Um, but that's legal, though, isn't it? Oh, it is legal. It, yeah, it's a twist, though. The uh, well, that's the whole point. It's legal, but it, is it? Is it morally justifiable? We just won a ruling in divisional court, and up to that point it was legal what was going on, but we won that ruling, and now what was going on is no longer legal. Mm -hmm. So there's some good has, we've made law and uh, so far with these cases, and we're going to make more. There's so many different areas that these encompass. It it's makes a one-hour show impossible mm -hmm. almost to scratch the surface. We deal with anonymity issues. We deal with privacy issues. We deal with freedom of speech issues. We deal with copyright. We deal with slap suits. There's found, so much. I found something on uh, Wikipedia uh, that was interesting. Maybe you can comment on it because you run one of these sites, and it said that the debate whether Internet blogs or bulletin boards are publishers is a key mm. subject being addressed, whereas an Internet-based community is more akin to conversation in a bar or pub with content being written as an ongoing dialogue that is generally not edited or regulated, such as in the publishing industry. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, mm -hmm. and, and that's where defamation law falls short in, in Ontario. Um, defamation law traditionally was to protect the little guy from the big newspapers. You know, you you didn't want to cross the people that that had barrels of ink. And so, if a newspaper said something about you, you you had no way of countering that. But with the internet, where anybody can get online and post anything they want, and you can go on and you can you can present your counter argument. What's really happening now is the people with the money are going after the little guys and saying, 
you said that about me on the internet, so I'm going to sue you. So retract it. And most of the time they do because nobody wants to be up to their eyeballs in a defamation now, suit. There's a big difference, of course, between, quote, free speech and libel and slander. But we're not talking about libel and slander here in these cases, are we? In most um, yeah, the three cases. Uh, Def, well, that's being. It is libelous. Yeah, so. Yes. It's a cousin. That's a different issue entirely. That would, that would apply off the internet as well, wouldn't it? Those kinds of. Yeah, laws. our position, though, is. Uh, particularly when it comes to people who are posting anonymously, that the the damage that a person can do to another person's reputation by just posting something on a bulletin board anonymously is the, the defamation law penalties are way out of proportion. It's not like it's the a writer from the National Post who's writing something about you and, and everybody believes this person and they're credible. The, the whole culture of the Internet, if somebody writes something anonymously and they can't back it up with links and facts, people just don't believe it. They get a beating. No, still, right. still, however, I mean, I would take offense at anybody who would publish anything on a website uh, which was incorrect about me and which would defame me, and I might even take the tactic that your complainant has done and, and sue them if it's if it's egregious enough, if it is bad enough, and it's been published enough. And untrue enough. And untrue enough, yes. <laughs> well, that's the thing, and, and you have to, all of that has to be weighed in the balance. Mm. Um, one, one of our defendants in the John Doe case, one of the comments that he's being sued over is he said, he sounds like a bully. Well, who hasn't said something equivalent about like to that to a public figure on it on the internet at one time or another? And well, still, so, still though, I mean, Mr. Warman does have the right to say that I'm not a bully, therefore I'm going to take it. Yes, of course. Over. And with the culture of the internet, he's more than welcome to sign up on the website and say. I am Richard Warman and I am not a bully. But and and that's how the the back and forth of the internet goes. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be a matter of the person with the most money gets to dictate what stays on the internet. So you are making law here basically by by trying to set the boundaries within these discussion groups and and and, and marry that with our libel and defamation exactly. laws. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Well, guys, believe it or not, the hour has slipped by. Folks, if you want to uh, see Mark and Connie for yourselves, it's tonight at the Crouch Library. Remember that, 7 to 9 p.m. Hope to see you there. And that's it for today. Thanks for coming, guys. Hope it works out for you, and hope we hear more tonight. Thanks for Thank having you. Us. Thanks a lot. We're out of here. And we hope the rest of you will join us again next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, you know what to do. Be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. Fade into color, color into black and white. The Super Bowl this year was kind of interesting because they ran three and a half, four hours of a salute to America brought to us by the NFL. So by the time they were kicking off, I was actually sick of freedom. I pine to be enslaved.